Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So yesterday, my wife and I uh, cleaned out our fish tank. We got all the water, bailed out the water, and took out all the, the stuff, the, the fake uh, grass or whatever it was in there, the rocks that was in the bottom of it, and cleaned it all out because uh, the fish that we affectionately called the bully, uh, he ended his life, it was over, and uh, he had a good run, the bully fish did, he had a good run. Um, we call him the bully because, you know, he would uh, bully the other fish when we, when we had, before their, their run ran out, he would bully all the other fish in the tank, and he was, and he was living the life, man, I mean, this fish was like, I don't know, it looked like he was just stealing all the food, like anytime we fed it, he would just like scare all the other fish off, and then he would eat all the food, to the point where this fish, my kids will tell you this, this fish had like a belly, man, like this, this guy, this guy was full, I mean, he was constantly he was he was living it up, living his living his best life. But when all the other fish their when their run ended, you could sort of see that his was, life was starting to end, and he was starting to deteriorate. And he lost that full belly that he had, and and he was just becoming. And then finally, you know, he took his last breath. If that's how fish do, with that however you describe it in fish world, but. Uh, and I call him he, could have been a she, who knows, we don't really know uh, what, what it was, but we just said it was just, and so we were cleaning out the tank and said, you know what, we're just not responsible enough for fish, and so, um, so we'll, we won't try any other pets for a while, uh, because we just can't handle, handle the task. But that's ultimately where we're at right, when it comes to the reality of life, is that we, uh, all of us are going to have uh, our, our run, and it's going to be over. Right? All of us are, have a run at it. We all have one shot at this life. Are you with me? You know that, right? Like, you don't get another shot at this. You just get one shot. And so we're talking about the heartbeat and the heart and what is the heart of God. And whatever the heart of God is ought to be our heart. Whatever the heart of God is ought to be something that it breaks, whatever breaks God's heart should break our heart. Whatever brings joy to God's heart should bring joy to our heart. And the, and the reality is, is that just like that fish who, in, on the, in, the, in the multiple other fish that, that I had, they had a good run, and you're going to have, and you're, you're going to have a good run one day, but eventually it's going to be over. The best way that I can describe it is just like this match here that we light, and we get a, a good start at life, and we get a good flame going, but then ultimately over time, as we sort of go through life and experience the things of life and all the things that life has to alter, eventually that our light will eventually run out. And you may have 30 years, you may get 50 years, you may get 70 years, you may get 90 years, you may get, even get 100 years, and I'll, I'm running out of, there we go. And so that, not many people get 110 years, so I was running out of years before eventually left, but that's ultimately the amount of time that we have. We get one shot at this, 
and with the heart of God is, is, is really the heart of God is, 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 is the fact that he is, uh, what is like a consuming fire. That's, the, that's who God is. God is a consuming fire. And what we do in, in our life, what we all have a tendency to do, is that we all have a tendency to hold our match of our life up to the, the, the life and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the consuming fire of God. And it just doesn't pale. It just pales in comparison, doesn't it? I mean, we think, well, you know, it's, it's about my, you know, way. It's about my opinions. It's about my career. It's about my choices. And eventually, it, that just eventually is going to burn out on us. But what's still going to be going, what's still going to be going from, from everlasting to everlasting is the, is the consuming fire of God. And what the heart of God is that he wants us to join our little lives into the big flame fire of his glory and his majesty and his beauty. That he doesn't want us to live our lives in a way that we think that life is about us, but he wants us to live our lives in a way that it's about him and his glory. That he wants our lives to be consumed with him. That our life, is a, our life is around, not because of what people see in our everyday. And even, even though you may achieve much and accomplish much and, and, and strive for great things. And all of that is, is, is admirable. And all of that is, is excellent. And all of that is, is in, incredible and, and, and awesome for you. But the reality is that it's ultimately for his glory. At least it should be. And, G, and Jesus was described in, in, in this way. Jesus was described that it, 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 the Hebrew writer tells us this in Hebrews 1.3. He says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. He's the illuminant of his, of his glory. He, he's the picture of his glory. And the exact representation of his nature. And, and upholds all things, not just some things, not just a few things, not just a majority of things. But he upholds all things by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus is trying to radiate. And this is what Jesus is trying to represent. He's representing the glory of God. He's the glory of God. And today, the bottom line is simply this. The bottom line is this. The heart of God is the glory of God. The heart of God is the glory of God. If you were here with us last week or watching online, listening in, or whatever you, whenever you got a chance to do that, that the, the story of the prodigal isn't really about the, of the prodigal's younger son, and it's not even really about the prodigal older son. The story that Jesus was telling was about the heart of the father. The story was about the father. It was all about the father and how the father's heart for his sons. One was wayward and one was resentful. One was wanting to live an extravagant, selfish life. And the other one was just as selfish and he was entitled. So it all, but either, neither of those sons was about the son. The story wasn't about the sons it was about the Father. In your story, in my story, the heart of it is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the glory of God. And the heart of God is the glory of God. If anybody understood the glory of God, it was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah experienced in his life what it really looks like 
to see and to live for the glory of God. And it says, Isaiah records it this way. He says, it was in the year King Uzziah's death. Whoa. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Wow. What a terrible year that was. I mean, you think 2020 is bad. The year that King Uzziah died, that was a bad year for God's people. Because King Uzziah was a great king. He was a great king. As a matter of fact, commentators and scholars would say, amongst the top three kings of Israel, you got David. You ever heard of David? You got Solomon. You ever heard of Solomon? And number three on the list was probably Uzziah. That's how great of a king Uzziah was. Uzziah was so great. And what made Uzziah so great was that he really boosted the economy. I mean, he was able to take back seaports that were overtaken by, you know, the, God's people and their enemies hundreds of years prior to him being a king. And he was able to regain those seaports and reestablish and restructure those seaports in order for there to be foreign trade. So that really boosted the economy. Uzziah was responsible for that. Uzziah was also responsible for providing jobs. He provided jobs for farmers and vine dressers. He provided great, incredible jobs for them. Uzziah was responsible for fortifying cities. Uzziah would take the cities and he would restructure them and he would rebuild them to be so strong that no enemy would want to come up against them. That's what Uzziah did. He built these and fortified these, these cities. He would boost the economy by trade. He would employ, find employment and find jobs for people. He, he built up the, the cities and made them stronger. As a matter of fact, Uzziah's army was so strong, he had over 300,000 men enlisted in his army, which was a massive army in that day. And he trained up leadership and established leadership within their military power. And he was even, he, they had so much prosperity and so much wealth within that time frame that Uzziah was able to provide for all of the soldiers. He was able to provide like swords and shields and weaponry for them as they went out in the battle, which was unheard of in that day. In that day, you had to bring your own sword to the battlefield. You had to bring your own shield to the battlefield. You had to bring your own weaponry to the battlefield. You had to do that yourself. But Uzziah provided that for them. They would show up in the battlefield and they would have their weak sword in their hand. And, and Uzziah, or one of his leaders, would go, get rid of that thing. I've got something better for you. Get rid of that thing. I've got something much, much better for you. And they would provide that for them. I mean, I talk about incredible prosperity, incredible privilege, incredible economic increase in strength and, and provisions for jobs. I mean, Uzziah did it right. He did it right. One of the things that he, the best thing about Uzziah was simply this. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father Amaziah had done. And it says in verse 5, and it says, he continued to seek God. 
I mean, this was, of all the other things that Uzziah was able to accomplish, this was the thing that was, this was his ticket. This was his ace in the hole. This was like his, this, this bread and butter for him was the fact that he just wanted to do what was right in the sight of God. And, that, and he just continued, continued to seek God. In other words, Uzziah was at a place in a season of his life that he just made everything about the glory of God. Everything, you know, the first catechism question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the supreme pursuit of man? And you know what the answer is? You, you probably already know. To glorify God, right? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the supreme uh, pursuit. That is the reason why you and I exist. It's the reason why you're here it's the reason why you're walking on this planet. It's the reason why God put breath in your lungs. Is to give him glory. And to make your life about continually seeking him. And that's what Uzziah did. And that was his bread and butter. And it even says this. That the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah. In other words, they did that because... They knew, I want to be on his good side, not on his bad side. So they would give money to Uzziah. And look what it says. And his fame extended to the borders of Egypt, for he became very strong. I mean, this guy's fame extended all the way to the borders of Egypt. All throughout the land, people knew who Uzziah was. He was famous. He was famous. Don't you, but, don't you, you're like, don't you wish it was like, that was it, and like, yeah, but, look what happens. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered, this is, this is just terrible. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What was he thinking? What, what happened was, is that he got, he went insane. He went, and that's what, all, what happens when, when, we, when we think that our accomplishments or our achievements or our excellence is a result of us. When we think it's me, I did this. I accomplished this. I made this happen. I built this. I advanced this. I made this better. And he became proud. And he took the glory that belonged to the Lord. And he took it for himself. And when we make life about us. And when I make life about me, I'm only robbing God of the glory that is due to him. In the room, are you with me? At home, are you with me? Nah, so I, thank you, person at home, thank you. He went into the temple. And he acted in a way that no one else ever, ever should act. He was a king but he acted as if he was also a priest. 
He went in there thinking, I'm the man. I can do whatever I want to do. I can go wherever I want to go. This kingdom is the way that it is because of me. He forgot that it was because of the favor of God. He forgot. You know what the name Uzziah means, by the way? The name Uzziah means the Lord is my help. <laughs> His own name. The Lord is my help. That's what it means. And he went in there, and he's thinking, I did this. I can go wherever I want to go. Went, goes into the temple. Well, 80 priests hear about this, and they all come together and say, this isn't, we're not going to tolerate this. Because no king is allowed to come into the temple. No king can serve the role of a priest. Except for one. Except for one king. Only one king in all of history has served the role of king and priest. You know what his name is? Jesus. And what Uzziah did is he, he took on the role that was belonged to one king of kings and lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. He assumed the role of Jesus. And when we make, when we make life about us, we assume a role that doesn't belong to us. You are not the star of your story. Jesus is. You are not the lead role of your life. Jesus should be. You're invited into the story. And that's grace. That's grace. And this guy, he, so he's now st standing with 80 prophets, or excuse me, 80 priests. And these priests are saying, you're not to do this. You're not to do this. And while he's, now he's getting angry, King Uzziah is getting angry, like how dare you priests stand up and tell me what I can or can't do. And while he's doing that, they're starting to point at his forehead. And they're pointing at his forehead because he's now, leprosy is now growing. And you, maybe you've been in church long enough to know that leprosy is not something that you wanted to get because when people got leprosy they were taken away they were taken away out and they were placed in their own little leper colony where they lived with other lepers and they were removed from the city altogether and so Uzziah because he sinned against God and, and went against God he was he attracted and God gave him leprosy as a picture of what was actually happening inside of his heart. You see, leprosy is, was an outward demonstration of actually the uncleanness that was happening inside the heart of the man. It was a visible representation of that. And they removed him. They removed King Uzziah. I mean, how tragic is this? They removed King Uzziah out of his king's quarters. And he had to go and live in isolation and quarantine all by himself until he died. And it says this. Look what it says. So Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. Isn't this so tragic? He was a king. He was a great king. I mean, if he would have just 
not became so prideful and thinking that life was about him and what he could do and, and everything that he achieved and accomplished and gained was about him. I mean, he would have probably have gone down as maybe number two of the greatest kings of Israel. And he wasn't remembered in the end of his life. This is so important. He wasn't remembered in the end of his life as a great king. He was remembered as a leper. He got one shot at it. Got one shot. And everything that he built, and everything that he achieved, and everything that he accomplished, because of the enemy of pride, and because the enemy of, it's about me, it all collapsed. And he was known as a leper. Now, back to Isaiah. So Isaiah says it was the year that King Uzziah died. And Isaiah is from the perspective of, this is terrible. This is not good. Because King Uzziah, even though he ended his life poorly, he still accomplished great things for our people. He still accomplished great things for our country. He still accomplished great things. And so what is now going to happen, Uzziah, or excuse me, Isaiah's thinking, what is now going to happen that Uzziah's gone? What's now going to happen to God's people? And as a matter of fact, he knew exactly what was going to happen to God's people. It was going to get worse. It was going to get worse. People were going to start losing their jobs. Their, their, their cities were going to become weaker. Their soldiers were going to have to start making their own swords and shields again. You know, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that people were going to start turning away from God because they recognized Uzziah as the one who was trying to do what was right in the eyes of God, but then stopped doing what was right in the eyes of God and started living his own way. And he knew that people would follow their leader. And Isaiah's going, what is going to happen now? But Isaiah says this. He says, it was the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And then he says this in verse 2. And a seraphim, which is like a, a, an angel, and the word seraphim means like a burning one. It, it, it means that these, this, is, this was an angel with wings that, that was, I, it's hard to really comprehend or understand what it looked like. But it, was, it, it describes them as burning ones. So that they were literally maybe on fire. They're on fire. And it says that these seraphim stood above him, each with six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And it says that Isaiah is seeing this. And he, he sees it. It says, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you know what Isaiah saw? He saw the Lord. He saw God for who God is. And he saw God, that God was on a throne. And in that throne room was a seraphim's, who knows how many seraphims are in that room. But they were just saying to one another, he's holy, he's holy, he's holy. In other words, he's unique, he's unique, he's unique. And the whole earth is full of his glory and they're all around the throne of God, worshiping and praising and giving him all the glory that is due to God. But what Isaiah needed to see in that moment is something that we all need to see in times and seasons of our life. That even though the outlook looked bad, 
but the outlook looked good. You with me? The outlook looked bad, but the outlook looked good. What, what Isaiah was seeing was, this isn't good. The king Uzziah is dead. The economy's going to crash. People are going to lose their jobs. There, our, our army's going to be weakened. No, this is not good. But then he sees heaven and he sees God on a throne. And everything looks fine from there. And this is what we need to see. This is what we need to see. We need to see that sometimes our outlook doesn't look good. But we need to see what Isaiah saw. And he saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, he saw the Lord lofty and exalted and sitting on a throne. And everything was just fine. And that's the way that we need to see the Lord. And that's the way that we need to see. And that needs to be the outlook of our life. And when the outlook of our life doesn't look good, we need to look up. And we need to realize that from God's throne, from God's perspective, everything is all right. You're going to be fine. When you see God, that God is on a throne, and he's glorious, and he's beautiful, and he's amazing, and he's exalted, and there's angels that are on fire, that are flying, they have six wings, and two are covering their face because he's so holy, and two are, are flying with their, just to stay off the ground of a holy ground of, of the Almighty. And that's the way that Isaiah needed to see. And Isaiah needed to realize, even though a great king was gone, that there's a king of kings still on the throne. And even though things looked bleak, God was still in control. Still in control. He describes him as the Lord of hosts. Now that means there's two meanings there. There's two meanings to describe that. Number one, the first meaning is, is that he's the host of angel armies that, that they would describe the scripture the scripture would describe hosts as as angel armies so you know even though Uzziah had a great army he was describing that God's army is just vastly better vastly bigger and vastly more powerful that's one way the other description that he is the Lord of hosts is describing the universe Describing the host of heaven, the, the stars in the sky. And I was doing a little research about that. And I, I love astronomy and I love some of these things because I just love how they resize me. And they put a big picture of God, even though it's not even closely big enough to describe God. And so I was doing a little study and I found that Hubble, the Hubble telescope, you ever heard of the Hubble telescope? The Hubble telescope... Uh, and, and there's a there's a new telescope coming out. The James Webb Telescope is coming out. It's going to be uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's going to be like the difference between like a, you know those wind up cameras versus like an iPhone camera. Like you, the Hubble is like that wind up camera that you used to have, and 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 the Hubble, uh, James Mac or James Webb. I, I keep calling it James Mac, but it's called James Webb. That is the that's going to be like an iPhone type quality and, he, and Hubble t would, would take pictures and over a 16 year period 
the Hubble would decided that they were, you know, NASA or whoever it was, they decided they were going to point into a dark void in the sky, and they were just going to take as many pictures over a 16-year period that they can. And so they took somewhere around 8,000 or so pictures pointing towards this dark area, the darkest part of the, of the night sky. The area was somewhere around the size of our moon. That's sort of the, the area, the space that, it, that they, they, so they just targeted the space about the size of our moon or even a little bit smaller than that. And they took 8,000 pictures over a 16-year period. And then they put them together. And I got a video, they, they, we, we sort of took a video that they showed. And so this is the space area. And as they're taking pictures over a long period of time, you can see it maybe up there too. They're taking these pictures, and this is what they are, have taken. Now, while you saw it sort of moving through the expanse of the universe, you might think that those are stars. They're not. Those were galaxies. Those were galaxies. We, you know this, right? We live in a galaxy. It's called the what? The Milky Way galaxy. We live in a galaxy. And it's not even the largest galaxy in our system. There's one that's bigger than us. It's called the Andromeda galaxy. And it's about 220,000 light years. That's the Andromeda galaxy. Ours is about 100,000 light years 100,000 light years, our Milky Way, our little Milky Way galaxy. When they took these pictures over a 16-year period, they said that they discovered over that part time, they discovered that there was just in that little window the size of our moon. Are you, staying, are you with me or have I nerded out on you too much? They discovered that there's over 250 thousand galaxies just galaxies in that little window 250,000 galaxies and we live in a little one called the Milky Way galaxy and when I look at that and when I see that, you know how it makes me feel? Small. Small. And I hold my little match. <laughs> Look at my life. Look at my life. Oh, my life, my life is about me. And all the while, <laughs> he's a flaming, fiery, glorious, beautiful, amazing mind-blowing God who just in a small window the size of our moon has 250,000 plus galaxies. And in each galaxy, there's billions of stars. Billions. You say, what is it? how do we compare a star? What does a star compare to? Oh, I don't know, like our sun? You know our sun? That's like a run-of-the-mill star. It's not even like the largest of the stars. It's just an average star is our sun. You know the thing that we have to lather up ourselves so that we don't get too burned by it? 
You know, we have to put on our sunglasses and our hat so that we don't get too, you know, we don't get ruined by this thing. That's one star out of billions in our little galaxy. He's big. He's big. And you and me, bitty, bitty. And you and I want to make life about us? I don't know where you fall in this picture, but I'm pretty sure that we wouldn't show up in it. He's big, and he's glorious, and he's the Lord of hosts, and he's holy, 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 and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Don't make this life about you. Make it for the one who created it, who sustains it, and who upholds it in his hands. The psalmist said it this way, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The other thing that Isaiah saw is now he just he saw the Lord. And I want you to see the Lord. I want if you walk away from anything from today, if you leave and, and, and click off from anything from this message today, I just want you to see God for who God is and how small we really are and, and what we should give our lives to. And what we should invest in and what we should make important. And whatever we've achieved and whatever we've accomplished shouldn't be as important. And if we have achieved or accomplished anything in this life, it's only because of God's help. It's only because God sustained it. It's only because God provided it. It's only because God allowed it. It's only because God said, here you go, let me give you a life. Even though you're small in the whole economy of God, I'm going to still get glory from you and your little life. And your little flame that you want to light. But the only thing, the other thing that Isaiah saw was Isaiah saw himself. Isaiah saw himself. So Isaiah gets this picture, right? And he sees the heavens, and he sees the throne room of God, and he sees these seraphims around the throne room of God saying, holy, 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 God almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah said this, then I said, I'm awesome. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Look what Isaiah says. Then I said, woe is me. For I am ruined. That's the way that it's written. That's the way that he wrote it. He didn't say, woe is me. I'm ruined. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, woe is me. Feel sorry for me. Uh, nothing ever works out the way I want it to work out. Nothing ever goes the way I want it to go. Whoa, whoa, woe is me. Whoa, I lost this. Or I didn't get this. Or this isn't working out. Or this isn't happening. For <laughs> me. That's still pride. That's still pride. 
You're still making it about you. You want people to feel sorry for you. You want people to sympathize with you. And that's fine. That's fine. But that's still pride. Still a heart that's proud and wants people to feel sorry for you. That's not what Isaiah was doing. Isaiah was saying, I am small. I am small. And my outlook is the wrong outlook. That it needs to be an uplook. It needs to be about God and not about me. So he says, woe is me. For I'm, I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And you know this, what Jesus teaches about unclean lips. Where he's, Jesus is saying, you know, you know what comes out of the mouth? Eventually, that, where that started was from the heart. You know that. Jesus is saying, the reason why you have unclean lips is because, worse, you have an unclean heart. For out of the mouth, you know, the, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus would say. And so whenever you have those times, you know, where you say something you wish you didn't say, or you said something that you regret, say something that you wish you could take back, and you would go, oh, I don't know where that came from. Oh, well, I don't know why I said that. Oh, oh, I don't know why that came out of my mouth. And Jesus would go, I know why. Because it was in your heart. Oh, the reason why you said that was be not because of, like, it just happened. It was, the reason why you said that is because it was in here. It was a heart problem. And all of us, you know, we're good at as Christians, especially Christians, are really good at trying to adjust our filters. And we adjust our filters to the environment that we're at. So when you show up to church and you're in the parking lot and you're sitting in your car and you're going, I need to turn up my spiritual filter. I need to turn that spiritual filter up, you know, because I can't get offended easily when I'm at church because they're Christian. I'm supposed to be a Christian and they're Christians and I don't want to come off like I'm not a Christian. But when you're not at church, when you're at your, in your home or when you're at a grocery store or you're out wherever you're out doing your life or in your business, that filter is maybe not as turned up as much. And we think that it's about the filters. If I can just adjust my filter. And then eventually something slips through the filter, doesn't it? And we go, whoop, whoop, get back in there, get back in there, get back in there. And Jesus is going, that's a heart issue. Stop trying to adjust the filter. Instead, address the heart. And Isaiah's going, I got unclean lips, and that's the, just the surface. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I have a heart issue. I've got a heart issue I've got to deal with. And so Isaiah started where all of us need to start, by looking in the mirror and looking at ourselves and going, I've got to, I've got to, if I'm, saying things, if I'm lashing out, if I'm getting angry, if I'm, you know, things are coming out that I have to, you know, make amends for later on down the road, it's a heart issue that needs to be addressed. So he starts by looking himself in the mirror. After he sees the holiness of God, he starts there. But then he says this. He says, no, go back. Go back. He says, because I'm a man of uncleanness and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, before I can anything have addressed anyone's issues, I need to address my own. 
And Jesus also said it this way. Jesus would say, yeah, listen, that's exactly right. Before you address anybody else's issues, you need to address your own issues. Before you address anybody else's heart, you need to look yourself in the mirror and deal with your own heart first. And Jesus described it in this way, and I think Jesus, again, was trying to be funny. He was like, it's like, you know what it's like? It's like, you're wanting to point out a speck. This is sort of the end of the match here. You're wanting to point out a speck in somebody else's eye. Hey, you got... You got, see, you got a speck in your eye. You got problems. You got issues. You're, you're, you know, upset all the time. You got resentment issues. You got anger problems. You got jealousy issues. You always want to address the speck in, in someone else's eye. And Jesus was saying, listen, you got your own problems. You got a log in your own eye. This is Jesus' example. You got... You got, you're trying to tell somebody else about their speck, and you got a log in your own eye. Hey, man, I, am, you know, I just wanted to talk to you for a few minutes about your issues. Hey, I just want to let you know that I just think that, you know, the way that you're handling things at your job is just, just not good. I just want you to know that I just don't approve of it, and I certainly don't think your church would approve of it. You know, you're just, as a matter of fact, now that we're talking about church, I just don't think that you're going to church enough. Yeah, I know I wasn't there the last couple weeks, but, you know, I'm just, I just think that you need to, you know, I'm, I'm pretty certain that you're not re- praying or reading your Bible. You know, you just, I, I just got, I, I just want to tell you, you just got problems. That's what we look like. This is what we do. Hey, let me deal with your, let me, let me see, I can see your speck. And the other person's going, dude, you got a huge log in yours. And Jesus would say, hey, before you can see clear, and so until you can see clear, you need to address your own thing. First. And that's what Isaiah did. Isaiah said, Woe is me. I see God for who God is, and He's holy. He's not just one holy, He's not just two holy, He's three holy. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. And I'm ruined. And I'm ruined forever because I see God for who God is. And therefore I see myself for who I am. And I'm looking in the mirror and I want a heart adjustment. And I want my heart not to be about me, not be about my thing, not be about what I do, not be about what I think, not be about my opinion, not what I think matters. No, no, my heart, my heart is about your heart, God. My heart, God, is about your heart, God. My heart, God, is about your glory, God, because you are are holy and I'm not oh I'll get to the other people later but I'm still dealing with me and I won't get to the other people until I figure out what's going on in my heart first because there's a lot of other people that got unclean lips too but that's something that they're going to have to deal with until I can help them deal with that I've got to deal with myself And just as gracious as God is, it says, Isaiah says in verse 6, I'm running out of time. Then one of the seraphims flew to me and with a burning coal, which just represents purification. A burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. 
and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your, look what happens, look what happens. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. How gracious is our glorious God to us. Hey, seraphim, go and take a burning coal off the altar. And go and fly it through this galaxy and that galaxy and this galaxy and that galaxy and this galaxy and that galaxy. And the seraphim's going, which galaxy? He's like, you're going to the Milky Way galaxy. And in the Milky Way galaxy, you're going to see eight planets orbiting around a run-of-the-mill star that they call the sun. So about the third rock in from the sun positioned perfectly for that planet to have sustaining life in it you're going to go to that planet called earth and you're going to find a little territory a little region on planet earth in the middle east called israel and in israel there's going to be a city a little city it's going to be up on a hill and it's going to be called jerusalem and in jerusalem there's going to be a little temple that they made for me in my glory oh how cute was that for me in my glory and in that temple you're going to find a little short little wee guy named isaiah who thinks that the world is finished because King Uzziah died, but I'm still on a throne. You'll, you'll find him there. You'll find him there. And you just put that burning coal on his lips, and that will be purification for him, that his iniquities will be taken away, and his sins will be forgiven. And we all need that. We all need that. Because 600 years later, God Almighty himself stepped off of his throne and stepped out of heaven and flew past this galaxy and that galaxy and this galaxy and that galaxy and this galaxy and that galaxy and this galaxy and that galaxy until he got to a Milky Way galaxy that he created, till he got to planet Earth that he created, positioned it perfectly so that it wasn't too close to the sun that we would burn up and not too far away from the sun that we would freeze to death. And he positioned his people in a small little territory called the Promised Land, and it's later be known as Israel, where the people of God would dwell, and they would build this little temple for to, for, for, to worship me in, and that you're going to find a baby, and angels are going to show up. They're going to say, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, for a king has been born unto you in the city of David, and it's called Bethlehem, and he's Christ the Lord, and he's God in a bod, so that you and I, can, so he can live a perfect, sinless life, so that he can die on a Roman cross, so that he, you and I can be forgiven of our sins, so our iniquities would be taken away, and our sins would be removed, so that we can know what it means to have life to the full, eternal life. He did that. He did that for you and for me. Even in the moments in the midst where we go, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm finished. And God's still showing grace. Why? It's for his glory. 
you're forgiven for his glory. So that your sins and mine can be taken away. And you and I can be forgiven. So then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, no thanks, I'm good. People are tough to deal with. That's not what he said. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Isn't that the appropriate response? You see God for who God is. You see God for all of his glory. You see God for all of his grace as he's extended to all of us. He stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and forgave you of your sins. And now God's going, who can go? Who can send this message out? Who's going to go for us? Who's going to go for us? Who's going to let the world know that they can be forgiven? And Isaiah's going, I will. I will. Oh, they're going to be a mess of people. Isaiah's like, I don't care. Your message is glorious and beautiful and gracious. He's forgiving, and he's sending us to go and send out that message, to share that message to a world. And all of us should respond like Isaiah. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I'll go. Send me. Send me. Father, Oh. God, we don't even deserve to even come to you right now and in this moment. God, you allow us to come boldly to your throne. God, even in this moment right here and right now, you're, the seraphims are, are praising you and worship is all around you. And you're still on a throne and you're glorious. And God, we just are coming to you, Lord. And we want to come to you with a woe is me. I am ruined. Change me. Transform me. Send me. Do whatever you want with me. Make my life about you, not like Uzziah did. To think that the things that we've accomplished, the things that we've achieved was about us and pride just is rising up in our hearts because all that is is just stealing glory from you, God. God, yours Yours is the kingdom, and yours is the glory forever and ever. God, thank you for giving us grace, by loving us so much that you stepped, you stepped out of heaven. You stepped off your throne, and you took on flesh and blood, and you were found as an appearance of a man, and you humbled yourself, and you became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And because of that, you exalted the name of your son. And his, it's his name that we pray. And it's his name that is the name that is above every name. And it's, it's in his name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to your glory. To your glory. It's all about you. It's all about you. Forgive us when it's about us. Forgive us.
I pray these things in the matchless, precious, beautiful name of Jesus.